Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a great show lined up for you today, including guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. We can continue our discussion about modern-day Supreme Court decisions that have uh, in some ways subverted the Constitution. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy will be joining us as well. It is March the 9th, and on this day in 1781, after successfully capturing British positions in Louisiana and Mississippi, Spanish General Bernardo de Galvez, commander of the Spanish forces in North America, turned his attention to the British-occupied city of Pensacola, Florida. General Galvez and a Spanish naval force of more than 40 ships and 3,500 men landed at Santa Rosa Island and began a two-month siege of British occupying forces that became known as the Battle of Pensacola. Galvez's flotilla survived a hurricane in harbor before initiating two months of constant artillery and cannon bombardment of the uh, British forts. By April the 23rd, reinforcements had arrived, increasing Galvez's total force to 7,800, and on the morning of May the 8th, 1781, the 18-year British occupation of Pensacola, Florida, ended with a British surrender. The British lost 105 men, the Spanish lost 78, and an additional 198 Spaniards were wounded. Spain took 1,113 prisoners and sent 300 Britons to Georgia on the promise they would not re-enter the British military. Spain never officially signed an alliance with the American revolutionaries, as King Charles III wasn't hesitant about the precedent he might be uh, starting by encouraging the population of another empire to overthrow their monarch. However, Spain also wanted to regain Gibraltar in the Mediterranean and solidify control of its North American holdings, so it allied itself with France in an international war against Britain. As a result, Spain regained West Florida during the fighting in East Florida, which in exchange for the Bahamas in the final peace, although Gibraltar remained in British control, Spain held all the land surrounding the Gulf of Mexico. Little known facts. It is an interesting to see how uh, back in those days uh, the control for land was so important. Well, the uh, column in the Naples Daily News suggests that Southwest Florida is approaching a normal situation as the pandemic enters its third year. NCH hospital system on Tuesday was treating 16 patients with COVID-19 and in largely the first time in months, zero infected patients in its intensive care units. Nevertheless, the Naples Daily News continues to talk about the importance of getting vaccinated and uh, just uh, the harms that could be in our way and uh, that, uh, in fact, there could be another strain of infections that comes, but irrespective, uh, pretty good news here. Life is getting back to normal, even though here on Florida we didn't suffer so many of the mandates and lockdowns that uh, blue states suffered uh, during this last two-year period. We're grateful for that. Earlier today, the official spokesman for China Communist government confronted the United States on its 336 biological labs in 30 countries around the world, uh, 
China. There are 26 U.S. biological labs in Ukraine alone. Now, you may recall that I brought this up with Mark Schulman yesterday, if you're listening to the show, and he admonished me for listening or or paying attention to bad, bad news outlets. Well, turns out this is true, or appears to be true. This follows Russia's document drop on Sunday that shows that Ukraine is working on a biological testing near the Russian border. The bullet in February claims that these reports were false and Russian disinformation. But today, a news outlet and an organization that breaks news on Russia and its military published documents Russia claims show biological testing in Ukraine near the Russian border. One document shows a list of the microbes being tested at the lab. Biden-Obama official Victoria Nuland, you may recall she was very active in the Ukraine a few years ago, well, she admitted to the biological research in the Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine, she said, has biological research facilities which are now quite concerned Russian troops. Uh, Russian forces may be seeking to gain control of these troops. That's an explosive development. Uh, maybe explains why we can't find Dr. Anthony Fauci around. Uh, maybe when he was lying to Rand Paul, he decided to double down. No, I'm not lying. I am the science. He Perhaps he was doing that because he knew there's a lot more that Dr. Uh, Rand Paul didn't know, which, of course, was about these other biological labs. If this is true, this is explosive information. And uh, people should be punished for this. This is... Uh, you know, they're clearly if they're going offshore of the United States is to avoid breaking laws here in the United States and uh, developing these chemical weapons. But if they're doing it abroad, that's not good. <clears throat> well, President Vladimir Zelensky said he's no longer pressing for NATO membership for Ukraine, a delicate issue that was one of Russia's stated reasons for invading his pro-Western neighbor. In another apparent nod aimed at placating Moscow, Zelensky said he's open to compromise on the status of two breakaway pro-Russian territories that President Vladimir Putin recognized as independent just before unleashing the invasion on uh, February the 24th. I've cooled down regarding this question a long time ago after we understood that NATO is not prepared to accept Ukraine, he said in an interview. The alliance is afraid of controversial things and confrontation with Russia, the president added. Referring to NATO membership, Zelensky said uh, through an interpreter that he does not want to be uh, president of a country which is begging something on its knees. Russia has uh, said it does not want uh, neighboring Ukraine to join NATO, the transatlantic alliance created at the start of the Cold War to protect Europe from the Soviet Union. In more recent years, the alliance has expanded further and further east to take its former Soviet bloc countries, infuriating the Kremlin. Russia seeks uh, NATO enlargement as a threat, as sees it as a threat, as it does the uh, military posture of these new Western allies on its doorstep. Shortly before he shocked the world by ordering the invasion of Ukraine, uh, Putin recognized an independent two separatist pro-Russian republics in eastern Ukraine, Donetsk and Lugansk, uh, that have now been at war with Kiev since 2014. Putin now wants Ukraine, too, to recognize them as a sovereign and independent states. When ABC asked him about the Russian demand, Zelensky said he was open to dialogue. Um, uh, talking about security guarantees, he said. He said the two regions have not been recognized by anyone but Russia, these pseudo-republicans, but we can discuss and f find compromise on these territories uh, that will live on. 
What's important to me is how the people on those territories are going to live and be part of Ukraine and who is in Ukraine will stay and that may want to leave uh, them as well. So the question is more difficult than simply acknowledging them, the president said. This is another ultimatum, and we should not be prepared for ultimatums. We need to be done. Uh, what needs to be done is for President Putin to start talking, start the dialogue instead of living in an informational bubble without oxygen, said Zelensky. So uh, p- pretty clearly, he's floating a balloon, a trial flag on uh, compromise and ending the fighting in the Ukraine. Two good compromises. I'm not interested in joining NATO and uh, willing to give up these two territories that we've been fighting about for the last eight years. Hopefully we'll see peace soon. Market's starting to reflect that. Maybe they're seeing it too. Uh, Futures are up nicely for a change today. Well, in Tuesday's address, President Joe Biden announced that the U.S. will be banning imports from Russia on Russia oil and that the U.S. will be sharing the responsibility of caring for refugees displaced in the conflict so the costs do not entirely fall on European countries bordering Ukraine. Another signal, perhaps, we're going to be bringing a lot of Ukrainians right here into the United States. This is a step that we're taking to inflict further pain on Russia and on Putin, said Biden. But there will be a cost as well here in the United States. He continued on to note that the U.S. has provided more than $41 billion in security assistance to Ukraine and that shipments of defensive weapons are arriving in the country every day from the United States. In addition to support in terms of weapons, Biden said the U.S. is providing humanitarian assistance to the people of Ukraine and we're working with humanitarian organizations to surge tens of thousands of tons of food, water and medical supplies into Ukraine. That according to the Biden administration. Biden continued on to summarize the financial stress the administration and companies have placed on Russia, which has resulted in the ruble falling to a value lower than the United States penny. We cut Russia largest banks from the international financial system and have crippled their ability to do business with the rest of the world. In addition, we're choking off Russia's access to technology like semiconductors that are and uh, that sap the economic strength and weaken its military for years to come, said Biden. Biden also warned about the jump in gas prices, calling it Putin's price hike. The decision today is not without cost here at home. Putin's war is already hurting American families at the gas pump. Since Putin began his military buildup on the Ukrainian border, since then the price of gas at the pump in America has jumped 75 cents. And with this action, it's going to go up further. I'm doing everything we can here to minimize Putin's price hike here at home, Biden stressed. Well, no, he's not. But he also claimed that his administration and policies are not holding back domestic energy production. That's a lie. That's simply not true, said Biden. Even amid the pandemic, companies in the United States pumped more oil during my first year in office than they did during my predecessor's first year. We're approaching record levels of oil and gas production in the United States, and we're on track to uh, set a record for oil production next year. In the United States, 90% of uh, onshore oil production takes place on land and isn't owned by the federal government that isn't owned by the federal government, and of the remaining 10% that occurs on federal land, the oil and gas industry is millions of acres leased. They have 9,000 permits to drill now, and they could be drilling right now. Yesterday, last week, last year, they have 900 uh, to drill onshore uh, that are already approved, said Biden. So let me be clear that we're not using them for production now that that's their decision. 
these are the facts. We should be honest about the facts. Well, here, no, that's not true, Mr. President. The fact is that they, they have the leases, but they haven't uh, tested for oil. Or if they have, they found that the land is barren and they're not able to produce oil where they've got these leases. So uh, there's a lot more to the story. And in fact, he's perpetrating a lie and trying to change the scent and blaming, blaming inflation and the increase of energy costs here in the United States on Putin. Just not true. So transforming our country or economy to run on electric vehicles powered by clean energy with tax credits to help American families winterize their homes and use less energy, that will help. That'll help, he said. And if we can, if we do what we can, it will mean that we no one has to worry about the price of pumping gas in the future, he said. Uh, this is uh, just, he's perpetrating a lie here. It's unfortunate. He says he wants to, giving us the facts, but he's giving us the facts that he chooses. On uh, uh, Tuesday's broadcast of MSNBC's Andrea Missile reports, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren reacted to President Joe Biden's ban on oil imports and began by stating that Congress should monitor the profits of oil companies and profit margins should go not go up. That's just oil companies gouging when they do that, so we're going to be on them on this, said uh, Warren. What a crook. She knows nothing about the U.S. economy, and uh, she's talking in an area where she has no knowledge or understanding. Uh, allow the free markets to operate, uh, Senator, and uh, stay in your own lane. Take care of legislation and the things that uh, you should be controlling, which, quite frankly, you're ignoring. Hiawatha, Native American heritage, got her job at her, uh, Harvard as a result. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and I hope you'll check it out by visiting the website and download the app. It's choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a, he's a author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you very much, Bob. Well, we've been talking in the last uh, couple <clears throat> of sessions that we've had about uh, what's happened with uh, the subversion of the Constitution, especially under the uh, Supreme Court decisions since the New Deal, and we've covered taxing power and commerce uh, clause. I'd like to uh, discuss exercise of legislative power by administrative agencies, which is clearly uh, these people aren't elected, but numerous laws control what Americans can and can't do. But some of those laws are were never passed by Congress. Instead, they were imposed by administrative agencies such as the EPA, doesn't the Constitution require all federal laws be enacted by Congress? It does. Article 1, Section 1, the very first sentence in the Constitution after the preamble, says, quote, all legislative power is vested in Congress. So why did it say that? Because the framers were smart guys, and they knew that if uh, Congress passes an oppressive law, the voters can respond uh, by uh, electing someone else. The problem is, suppose the law is murky and no one quite knows what it means, or as with Obamacare, for example, nobody even bothered to read the entire bill. And then the president instructs that one of the 320 or so regulatory agencies in D.C. flesh out the details. Well, if that happens, the voters don't have any recourse because these agencies and cabinet departments are run by unelected bureaucrats, and yeah. they're not responsive to the political process. So we have to remember that Congress's powers are not inherent. They're delegated to Congress by the people through the Constitution. And accordingly, Congress can't redelegate those powers unless the people 
again, through the Constitution, uh, consent. And from a constitutional perspective, it's not only which policies are ultimately adopted, but what also matters is that it's Congress and not these agencies that's a, that enacts the powers. If Congress needs technical assistance, it can get it from staff members or universities or professional associations or think tanks like the Cato Institute, and naturally from the agencies. Yeah. But Congress itself should have to review these recommendations and sign on before they become law. Congress needs a consensus to pass laws. These agencies, they don't have 535 legislators that they have to convince. And we don't know what the opposing views are, whether they're adequately aired, where is the record of the agency's deliberations, what factors did they consider and reject, uh, what do the voters and taxpayers do if the agency gets it wrong. And most important, the doctrine of separation of powers does not permit combining legislative, executive, and judicial functions in one entity, but most of these agencies exercise all three functions. Yeah, so, Bob, and, and of course, when these agencies were created, they were expected to be uh, uh, non, nonpartisan, but we politicized so many of these agencies, and even the FBI and the, and the CIA, it's just been incredible. So uh, that, ho that horse is really out of the barn, isn't it? Indeed it is. Yeah. <clears throat> so well, what was the practical effect of regulatory overreach during the Obama administration? Well, you know, the Republican House wasn't willing to advance the Obama agenda. So as a result, we had these D.C. alphabet agencies uh, operating overtime. So the Department of Health and Human Services uh, was regulating health care. Uh, this Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was imposing the Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, the EPA, as we know, was setting all sorts of global warming standards. Uh, to, and to grasp the scope of that problem, these federal agencies now dwarf Congress when it comes to making rules that uh, control what Americans can do. Uh, those rules are codified in what's called the Code of Federal Regulations, uh, the CFR. It's more than 200 bound volumes, about six times as large as the U.S. Code, which contains all the laws uh, passed by Congress. And, you know, the president yesterday said in a speech that, hey, look, uh, this is all Putin's fault, the rise in uh, gasoline prices. You know, we, they've got all kinds of uh, permits to drill if they want to. So it's it's not our fault. We're, we're producing as much as we can. But the fact of the matter is regulatory agencies can control and have a big effect on what's going on with, it, with regard to energy. They do indeed. And it's, of course, now is uh, where this really matters because it's hitting us at the pump. And it's affecting our policy in uh, Ukraine. So we really do need uh, these regulatory agencies to operate under the rubric that's established by the Congress. And if Congress hasn't established an appropriate framework, it, Congress needs to step up, quit abdicating, and do what it's supposed to do, uh, and that is to legislate. Yeah, no question. So what's the practical effect of regulatory overreach during the Obama administration? Well, the, we had this case involving the, the uh, insurance exchanges, King v. Burwell. Perfect example of the administrative state on steroids. Uh, the Supreme Court had to resolve whether the Internal Revenue Service could pass regulations uh, 
making Obamacare subsidies available on federal insurance exchanges. So the text of Obamacare, the law, the Affordable Care Act, says the federal government can set up exchanges if a a state decides not to, but the text also says that subsidies to consumers were available only on the exchanges established by the state, not the federal exchanges. So enter IRS, which passes a regulation that supposedly overrides the law passed by Congress Mm. and signed by the president. And thanks to the work of Michael Cannon, uh, Cato's healthcare specialist, and the law professor Jonathan Adler, uh, there were legal challenges filed in several states. So you have to remember, if these subsidies were not available on federal exchanges, as the law said, then it would follow that more than 5 million Americans might not be able to afford insurance, and they would therefore be exempt from this individual mandate. The bottom line, if the lawmakers had understood that, Obamacare would not likely have been enacted. But of course, we know that it was. And the agency played a major role in establishing the framework under which Obamacare was implemented. Yeah. So how did agency regulations impact the second big Obamacare case where the one involving state versus federal insurance exchanges? Yeah, the the government maintained that established by the state is a term of art, you know, a technical phrase embracing more than what the words actually said. So when a state opts out, said the administration, the feds simply step in and take over as the state's uh, surrogate. And functionally, so the administration argued, the federal exchange is an exchange established by the state. It sounds a little bit like doublespeak. In any event, if there were ambiguity in the statute, the administration insisted that the courts should defer to IRS. Now we have, just this week, Representative Ron Johnson, who says the Republicans really ought to repeal Obamacare if they take back control of the uh, Congress. Absolutely. an interesting development if it happens. Indeed it is. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. We'll continue that discussion next Wednesday, and we'll look forward to it. Coming up now, we're going to be visiting with Andy Joppa. He's professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 
322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and author of Josephus of Oz, off-topic for today's discussion, but a really terrific read. Let me just repeat that. It's Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good, good morning, Bob. Well, with everything that's going on right now and the, I guess, the velocity of news that we're seeing, I'll just stop and ask you what's on your mind right now. Well, there's a lot on my mind, and as I told you off-air, I'm, I'm, I'm confused more so than I think I've ever been in my life about the issues that we're, we're involved with right now. Uh, perhaps, again, being confused is not the right word. There were so many conflicting and documentable positions that it, it's very difficult to, uh, to get a firm view on, on what is happening in Ukraine and the world surrounding it. Let, let me start out with the good news today. It's not dramatic, but it's, uh, it's worth mentioning. Uh, the spring break period for the colleges is starting right now, and uh, uh, we are going through the spring break with minimal, minimal COVID restrictions. I think that's a, a good sign. Uh, I think it also indicates one of the unspoken values of elections or pending elections. It tends to at least momentarily bring eccentricity back into some sense of decorum. So I think we're seeing the uh, the left retreating from their uh, their COVID eccentricities because in November there is going to be an election coming up. So again, we don't hear much about the the value of elections from that in that regard. But I I think that's to be uh, to be considered. Um, I did want to mention a few things that are peripheral to Ukraine. Uh, uh, not directly uh, about Ukraine, but they're associated with the issue. Uh, first of all is the issue of, of renewable energy. So certainly, uh, I think we can make the case that much of what is going on as it pertains to, to Ukraine, uh, Russia, uh, the, uh, the problems that are, that are in existence uh, are derivatives of the, the concept, the generic concept of energy. I, I believe it's been renewable energies and the, uh, the projection that these are going to be the uh, the outs uh, for Western governments that are restricting their uh, their uh, ability to uh, uh, harvest uh, fossil fuels. Uh, I think the the renewable energies are certainly not ready for prime time. I don't know if they'll ever be ready for prime time. Uh, in the meantime, we have abundant fossil fuels. We have a, a tremendous worldwide abundance of natural gas, which is uh, of the fossil fuels, the cleaner burning of all these. And yet we're turning our back on these more and more. 
Uh, and what we've seen, I think, is the uh, as a as a result of our restriction of our own energy output, uh, theoretically for environmental concerns, uh, is that we've seen the funding of the uh, the Russian attack. By the way, I will mention I was going to use invasion, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but the United Nations just has said that we cannot. They will not refer to that as an invasion. I'm not sure what other word could be used, and I'm not sure why they would restrict it. So the point I'm making, Bob, is that renewable energies are, uh, for remote locations, I think are very valuable. They provide their energy in circumstances where it's not available. But in terms of what we've done, we've turned the renewable energy into the savior uh, of the whole world of energy for the, for the planet. Uh, and I think that is something that is provoking many of the problems that we're looking at right now. It as a corresponds to the suppression of the uh, development and utilization of fossil fuels. Bob. Well, there's no question about it. And uh, a lot of it is just based on false science. Uh, the, you're right. I mean, we have Hoover Dam that's taking advantage of the, uh, the water pressure there and being able to create energy. There's opportunities that we have to convert some of these national natural phenomenon into energy. But the whole idea of having wind Wind farms, which are chopping up birds like crazy and creating all kinds of havoc, uh, driving some people to having severe psychological problems because of the constant wind and the whir of the of the sound of the of the uh, of the uh, whirring of the uh, windmills. It's just it's uh, it's doing more harm than good. And the fact of the matter is, nobody wants dirty air or dirty water. We can clean it. We can get particulates out of the air, unlike China that doesn't do that at all. We can take care of our, our energy. Use carbon dioxide is plant food. <laughs> there is no well, reason. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. In the United States, since the uh, Kyoto Protocols back in the late 90s, uh, has been the only nation that has significantly actually decreased its carbon output. Right. Now, I personally don't have a dramatic concern with this, but the United States, considering the size of its economy, is a is a wonderfully clean nation. And uh, unfortunately, much of the public confuses carbon dioxide, as you're pointing out, Bob, with being a pollutant. It is not a pollutant. It is the essential atmospheric gas. It is the one critical gas that we cannot survive without. So uh, what we're looking at right now, I think, is a uh, is a uh, I'm going to call it a hoax. That's perhaps too extreme, but it may be it, it may be an artificial creation of political manipulation uh, to try to damage the capitalist West. And I notice some people that'll that'll sound extreme or uh, perhaps too conspiratorial. But uh, I think it, it can be seen that way, that this is a hoax to to damage the capitalist West. Bob. Well, it certainly does damage the capital West and whether it's a hoax or not i'm sure some people actually believe this stuff but you know they use words like the consensus of scientists and uh, you know when was when do you recall ever science being based on a consensus it's not based on a consensus based on challenging the status quo and coming up with new ideas every scientist understands that the scientific method requires coming up with a new hypothesis that challenges the status quo so no it's Right. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Okay, no, you didn't. Go ahead. I guess I get I get animated about this because it's so <laughs> it's 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 so stupid. <laughs> well, you you know you're animated with uh, with good reason. We're looking at something that is seriously uh, uh, acting as a detriment to the quality of life and totally unnecessary. Yeah. You know, if there was any reason for it, then you could say, well, we'll we'll accept the downside. But there's absolutely no reason for it. As I pointed out before, uh, I think right now they estimate we have a 300-year supply available, immediately identified and available 
of fossil fuels. So this is not something that's in short supply. The price was going lower and lower. It was it was taking the big revenues out of the hand of 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 terrorist states or or um, aggressive states such as Russia, uh, Iran, Venezuela and so forth. So what we've done by our policies is essentially fund these these failing or aggressive uh, uh, geopolitical states. And uh, certainly that we're, I think we're seeing right now in Ukraine, uh, certainly a, a partial result of that uh, that invasion is a derivative of that of that process. Uh, no question. Yesterday, the president of the United States said, hey, look, let's take a look at the facts. Uh, we're producing more oil here in the United States than we ever did in the first year, for example, of the last administration. And uh, we're doing nothing to get in the way where we're trying to do everything. Well, that's, you know, we sent clear signals to the entire energy sector that, in fact, uh, we're going with clean, clear, clean energy. So obviously they're reducing the risk with regard to uh, uh, carbon-based fuel and uh, expanding their efforts in other areas. Uh, the clear, the, you know, in terms of the regulations, they've set regulations that get in the way of drilling for more oil. We could be drilling a lot more. We could turn this around on a dime if the president of this administration basically said, "Hey." We screwed up. We're going to change our we're going to change our policy right now, and we're asking for oil companies to cooperate. Voila, we'd have more energy in a moment. There's no doubt. Jim Psaki, I think yesterday, day before yesterday, indicated that there were nine thousand uh, drilling permits that are uh, going un, unused. Uh, and she tried to indicate that that's an indication that the oil industry is just not interested in developing these new oil resources. What she did not cite was the where these permits are. They 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 exist in in land areas where there is no oil, no right. proven uh, deposits of fossil fuels of any sort. Uh, so she cites this nine thousand figure as if it's an indication of a of a failure of the industry. Uh, in fact, what it represents is the failure to give. Uh, oil permits in the areas where there is a likelihood uh, of developing uh, significant levels of oil reserves as a derivative. Uh, you are absolutely so right. And, uh, you know, in fact, the, the, when it, uh, a permit is issued, there is no proof that there's oil there. They simply have a right to start uh, exploring to see if oil is, in locate, is located in those areas. And if they're not, and especially, why would you spend the money if you're an energy company when you understand, hey, the puck is going in a different direction, right? Right now in this game, we're, we're, we should be working with uh, alternative energy. The president's lying to he lied to us yesterday. That, that, that's that's a critical point you just made. You know, you, uh, you know, uh, companies are not going to invest uh, hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars in a, in a circumstance where the government the, the next day. Uh, could ban, outlaw, restrict, whatever word we want to apply to it, what you've done, and that investment goes down the drain. Yeah. Uh, I know we'd like our corporations to be self, uh, uh, social-serving institutions, and they are to a large extent, but they're not stupid, Bob. And they, they've looked at the eccentricities of our government, certainly that has been picked up, certainly by Vladimir Putin. I'm not in any way defending Putin, but he has looked at the, uh, the eccentricities of the West, the United States, Canada, Europe, Europe to, uh, to a large extent, uh, and he is he is concerned what he sees here, as we are concerned with him. So this is not a uh, a one-sided coin. There are there are two different issues at stake. First of all, Putin's uh, Putin's eccentricity, as we can define them right now, uh, and certainly what he has seen as the eccentricities of the West. And I uh, I understand that I have. Ex- 
I've seen that myself. I think any rational person has seen that themselves. Absolutely. Well, and just another dimension of this entire thing, the big bombshell yesterday, of course, is the Chinese accusing us of having over 300 biological labs across the globe and over 20 of them in Ukraine uh, and with the end. Victoria Nuland, who's uh, the Assistant State Department Secretary, said, you know, well, you know, she kind of was shuffling around her papers and dancing around it, but she said, you know, that's true. (laughs) We do. Why why Nuland is still in government as far as is beyond my capacity to understand. She's been one of the most destructive forces in the last 25 or 30 years, Bob, in government. So, but but she's still there. She's still doing her thing. So, and by the way, that uh, that 20 bio labs in Ukraine has been disputed. And again, that's another issue. Certainly, when I mentioned it off air, the the issue of the fog of war. We're looking at the yeah. uh, the, the distortion. We, it's impossible. Uh, the UFC, the uh, Ultimate Fighting Champion, uh, young fellow that that said the other day that he doesn't understand what nobody understands what's going on. He doesn't understand what's going on. And certainly, that is true. Right. Uh, it's not a problem or a process of a lack of commitment to try to understand. It is just impossible to understand. Some examples. Um, Ukraine is reporting that they killed 12,000 Russian soldiers. Now, perhaps that's true. I I don't believe it, Bob. They shot down 36 Russian attack helicopters. I do not believe that. Uh, Three or four of the major explosions that have been presented on TV, on uh, on some of the, uh, the cable shows, uh, over Ukraine, theoretically, have been well documented as having been prior explosions. For example, one took place at a Chinese uh, chemical uh, plant. Uh, another took place, um, they didn't define where, but it took place in the latter part of 2021 as compared to being in Ukraine. So we're getting this constant uh, uh, feed of information that, that can be uh, debated, that Russians are slaughtering civilians indiscriminately, lining them up to be shot, that they're willfully and joyfully attacking hospitals and, and, and ambulances and so forth. Uh, is there a semblance of truth to this? I guess there might be. I, I can't ignore it. Uh, on the other hand, with the, with the uh, process that the West media and the West governments have have, uh, have have done to us, I would say, over the past year, year and a half, and go back to the start of the Trump administration, even before uh, the distortions in the media, I think have led any rational person to should have the need to challenge whatever they're being given about information as it pertains to the Ukraine conflict. Yeah, that's, that's such an important point, Andy. In fact, uh, when I take a look at the news, I basically, uh, what I see is the uh, news outlet has a narrative it wants to support. The Democrat Party has a news, the neocons have a, uh, a news narrative that they want to support. And they they go into the archives and find stuff that supports it. Quite frankly, it's not what, you know, when they hear these uh, talking heads talking from the Ukraine people position there, I admire their courage in being there, but they're compl- they're talking about all the, the uh, bombing that's going on. And meanwhile, you look in the background, nothing's going going on so it's it the credibility again of the news agencies just unfortunate if we could rely on the fourth estate to give us the truth and we can't we can't rely on that 
Yeah, and, and instead of this just being a, a minor annoyance in terms of our, our, our ability to understand something, I think we're at this point, uh, as it pertains to Ukraine and the associated potentials, you know, we're looking, and I'm, I don't want to be a, a doomsday person or a uh, an Armageddon type of person. I'm not uh, dystopian in my in my views, but we're looking at a possibility of a nuclear exchange. I'm not predicting that, of course. Right. It's it's a highly improbable event, but I think when we're looking at that possibility existing uh, or cyber warfare existing, to uh, not to uh, not pay attention to that potential, to not understand that potential, uh, I think is is a very very dangerous process. If we look at the history of war across this planet, Bob, they have started with, in many cases, what seems to be almost an incidental event, the assassination of Archduke Francis Ferdinand starting World War One. Right. Uh, we, you can look at these moments that have, have seemed to have minimal type of consequence that have expanded and exploded into worldwide c- configuration. And I think now the possibilities are are more likely, not likely, but more likely than they've been in my lifetime, Bob, and that includes the Cuban Missile Crisis. I agree with that. Andy, I'd like to take a little break right now. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. We're going to a board meeting today for them. 
among other things, providing programs and policies to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, we were talking a little bit about your observations about uh, the U- situation in Ukraine. Uh, where do you want to go from here? I got a few other, again, peripheral comments that uh, are associated with this. I'm dealing peripherally today, Bob, because almost all of the the larger issues pertaining to Ukraine are, are being discussed. So I'm trying to deal with some of those things associated with it right now. Uh, first of all, the state of the United States military, since we are in a potential circumstance with the United States military in mm. its entirety may be called to, uh, to act. Uh, Right now, we have this extremely woke military where every idiosyncrasy of every soldier is being catered to, is being supported and and, and giving uh, uh, applause uh, in its existence. Uh, For your audience, if they haven't been through the process of basic training, the whole purpose of basic training in the past in the military was to eliminate your individual identity and at the end of that process produce a warrior, a soldier, to remove your individual identity so there was a unity, a sameness of the process that took place in the military that gave it an efficiency, a a cohesion that it certainly will probably lack now if it is ever called on. So I think we have to uh, concern ourselves with that projection at this point of the full utilization of our military. I'm not predicting that, uh, but again, I think that is a, a weakness that may be exposed. Uh, unrelated to that, but related to Ukraine is uh, yesterday, uh, Poland agreed to transfer their whole fleet of MiG-29s uh, to the United States Air Base in Germany. Uh, and from Germany, they would then be transferred through some miraculous process into Ukraine. Hmm. The United States has turned this down. I think what Uh, If I might just give interpretation to that, I think Poland, uh, even if they're trying to help Ukraine, did not want to have the direct responsibility of introducing those MiG-29s into Ukraine themselves. They wanted that to still be a United States operation. And if if I'm going to be cynical, I would suggest it's Poland trying to upgrade uh, their MiG-29 Air Force into an F-16 Air Force. (laughs) I also don't understand why if, if, you know, we have an enormous number of of, of F-16s in, in, in stockpile, in storage. Why, if we want, if the United States wants, and I don't think we do, if we want to have these weapons, uh, these aircraft transferred to Ukraine, why don't we do it ourselves? I, so there's a lot of confusion in terms of how these things are being handled. I think I would say there's a lot of fear in terms of how they're being handled. I do not think Poland wants to see themselves labeled by, by Russia as having directly intervened in this conflict. So um, these are issues that I think are, are certainly worth discussing. I don't know their, the, the, the size of the implication, but I think these are all things that, uh, that are part of the process of, of you. Andy, are you there? I think we may have just lost Andy, not sure, but... Uh... In any event, I'd make the comment that uh, the other big concern. Yeah, the, are you there, Andy? 
I'm here. Okay, good. So uh, my other big concern about all this, of course, is the. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that the president is the one who's uh, making the final decisions on a lot of this. And uh, his decision-making capacity, especially based on what happened in Afghanistan, is certainly questionable. And uh, even if things have gone up to this point, okay, you're always concerned about the next decision, whatever it might be. And uh, just the, the reminder that there, there are nuclear warheads involved in this whole discussion right now. Russia has them and uh, has threatened to use them and uh, we've got somebody who i believe is incompetent has does not have a history of making good decisions uh, uh making I, those decisions there's nothing that could be argued about what you just said bob i published a an essay recently in which i create a an alternative war scenario back in world war ii uh, basically what i what i offered was if hitler at the end of world war ii as he sat in his Führer bunker under berlin if he had nuclear weapons and cyber warfare potentials, would he have not used them? Yep. So I'm again. I, I was just suggesting that if this, if Putin is the Hitler, and I don't think he is, that's being suggested by the Western media and Western politicians, then I think we are putting the West at extreme levels of risk for the same reason that I cited. Uh, in terms of what Hitler would have done. Now, I don't think Putin is a Hitler. I think he's infinitely more rational than that. Uh, I actually think he's more rational than Biden. That doesn't mean his actions, if they're rational, are good or moral or 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 not evil. Right. That does, the word irrational does not suggest that. But I think his his actions are well considered. Uh, I, for the first time maybe ever, I, I disagreed with Victor Davis Hanson as he published a long essay yesterday where he talked about Putin was surprised, surprised by the size of the resistance, surprised by the uh, by the unity of the West, surprised by this and surprised by the other thing. Uh, I, I just do not accept that Vladimir Putin was surprised by any of this. One of the main reasons I can cite, Bob, is I was writing about all those things before the invasion. Mm -hmm. So I know if I was even uh, casually aware of this as a uh, as a layperson writing on the outside of these issues, I certainly know Putin was was fully, fully aware of these issues. We talk about the sanctions uh, uh, hitting Russia hard and Putin hard, and they will and they are. Uh, on the other hand, the sanctions are not coming from the entire world. Right. If we look at the world that is still available to Putin, uh, it includes China, Turkey, India, Brazil. We're, we're talking about half of the world's population it is still an open environment for Putin to do business, sell oil in and transfer goods into. So, yeah, I mean, there will be certainly a short term significant impact on uh, on Russia and its oligarchs. And I've heard that all the time, of course. Uh, but if we're talking about the long term development of these issues, uh, I think Russia, as it stands right now, will emerge from this at least economically sound. Uh, so I, I, again, as I started out at the beginning of this process, uh, I'm not sure exactly where I stand on this. Yeah. There's certainly a legitimate position that says Russia and Putin are, are losing by some measurement in Ukraine. On the other hand, if what Putin actually wants is only the eastern provinces to be independent, the acknowledgement of Crimea being Russia, the elimination of, uh, or let's call it uh, the establishment of Ukraine neutrality. If that is what he wants, he could have that tomorrow and the war could end tomorrow. Now, the West refuses to allow us to believe that. They want to expand the potential into invasion of the of the Baltic countries and uh, and, and into uh, into the rest of Eastern Europe. 
Uh, I don't see that as his intent. I think we have to take him at his word at this point, at least, uh, that what he wants is exactly that. If you look at the military formations, I, I see nothing at this point that says, as General Kellogg said on the air this morning, uh, that Ru- that Russia needs to take Kiev. I don't see that. Mm. What I see is the 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 border area, the uh, the contiguous border area that he is uh, seizing control of, the eastern provinces. Uh, he is he is defending and Crimea leading down to Odessa. But I don't necessarily see that he has the slightest concern with taking over the entirety of Ukraine. That is, I'm going to say this, uh, I can't prove it, of course, this is a Western invention that he wants the entirety of Ukraine. You know, I think that, I think there's a lot to that, Andy. And, uh, my thesis and hypothesis is that uh, my concern is that by base, everything that's going on right now, Russia is losing. The ruble has gone down in value. Uh, the uh, the access to American banks, U.S. banks and glo- around the globe has ceased. I, I think there's a possibility that Russia could become a puppet state for China. China is just basically saying, hey, we got your back. But I think they're licking their chops, thinking we, while in the process of saving this country and helping in its recovery, uh, we're going to be able to call the shots and what's going on in Russia. I think that's a strong likelihood, if not tomorrow, then the day after tomorrow, Bob. uh, If we look at the demographics of Russia, the population is decreasing. I think it has a 1.4 percent, 1.4, not percent, 1.4 replacement factor in terms of uh, replacing every two people with 1.4. You can just do the math and see within a relatively short space of time, the population of Russia is going to be precipitously declining, as it is in Ukraine, by the way. Uh, And and as it is as it is in China as well, because as it is in China, China can afford that hit. Russia and Ukraine cannot afford that hit. Uh, they're going to fill their, their slack with, uh, with uh, North African uh, immigration and Muslim immigration. Uh, and I think that uh, that is going to be uh, a, a difficult process for, for Europe to tolerate as, as time unfolds. So, but I think your point about uh, a puppet state of China, uh, heck, that possibly is true as we speak right now, Bob. It's not going to be publicly broadcast, of course. Uh, if talking about puppet states is you know, running out of time here, uh, I've read extensively on the fact that Zelensky was put into office by the actions and the money of George Soros. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I can't document that. Uh, that hasn't been documented. But I've seen multiple, multiple reports on exactly that, yep. that Zelensky is little more than a puppet of George Soros. Yeah, no, I've seen the same, same commentary. And uh, it's uh, it's very concerning. It, to your point, when we started off, it's the fog of war. It's very it's confusing. It's hard to know what really is fact and what's fiction. There's a lot of both out there right now, and uh, we can only hope that this. Uh, of course, so Zelensky seems to be offering an olive branch right now by suggesting that hey, NATO's not so important to us. So, you know, we we we'll uh, step back from that. Maybe the European Union not so important to us. Uh, and these t- these puppet states that are currently Donbass in the Donbass region, that's not important to us. Maybe he's offering a, a olive branch. Maybe this will wind down quickly. Wouldn't that be nice? The unfortunate thing, and you're, you're absolutely correct in what you've said, the unfortunate thing about all that is that is exactly what could have been done before this invasion took place. Yeah. That was the demand of Russia. If, if Zelensky is open to doing that now, there was no reason. Uh, to not do it before the invasion began. Uh, what you just, the listener just ran through, would not have at all changed the basic uh, definition of Ukraine. Kev is its capital, Zelensky is its president, and the vast majority of Ukraine territory still be under under the control of Kev. 
So um, it's, it's unfortunate. But this whole excursion into Ukraine uh, may prove in the immediate future, and I sort of hope it does, may prove to be a, an entirely useless activity. Yeah. I hope it is ended as soon and, and you can stop the suffering of the Ukrainian people, Bob. Absolutely. Andy Joppa, again, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary. So interesting today. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk soon, Bob. My, my pleasure. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot. The exchange with Andy was fantastic, as well as with Bob Levy. I hope you join us tomorrow. We'll have Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, with us. We'll visit with Dr. George Markovich. Dr. Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon. We're talking about what's happening in the trenches with regard to health care. And Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.